This is the story about the prince of Edessa, as recorded by Eusebius in his book, The History of the Church from Christ to Constantine. The story about Thaddeus is as follows. Because of his power to work miracles, the divinity of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ became in every land the subject of excited talk and attracted a vast number of people in foreign lands, very remote from Judea, who came in the hope of being cured of diseases and disorders of every kind. Thus it happened that when King Abgar, the brilliantly successful monarch of the peoples of Mesopotamia, who was dying from a terrible physical disorder which no human power could heal, heard continual mention of the name of Jesus and unanimous tribute to his miracles, he sent a humble request to him by letter carrier begging for relief from his disease. Jesus did not immediately accede to his request, but honored him with a personal letter promising to send one of his disciples to cure his disease and at the same time to bring salvation to him and all his kin. In a very short time, the promise was fulfilled. After his resurrection and ascent into heaven, Thomas, one of the twelve apostles, was moved by inspiration to send Thaddeus himself in the list of Christ's seventy disciples to Edessa as preacher and evangelist of the teaching about Christ. Through him every word of our Saviour's promise was fulfilled. Written evidence of these things is available, taken from the record office at Edessa, at that time the royal capital. In the public documents there, embracing early history and also the events of Abgar's time, this record is found preserved from then till now, and the most satisfactory course is to listen to the actual letters which I have extracted from the archives and translated word for word from the Syriac as follows. This is a copy of the letter written by Abgar, the top arc, to Jesus, and sent to him at Jerusalem by the courier Ananias. Abgar Yuchama, the top arch to Jesus, who has appeared as a gracious saviour in the region of Jerusalem, greeting. I have heard about you and about the cures you perform without drugs or herbs. If report is true, you make the blind see again and the lame walk about. You cleanse lepers, expel unclean spirits and demons, cure those suffering from chronic and painful diseases, and raise the dead. When I heard all this about you, I concluded that one of two things must be true. Either you are God and came down from heaven to do these things, or you are God's Son doing them. Accordingly, I am writing to beg you to come to me, whatever the inconvenience, and cure the disorder from which I suffer. I may add that I understand that the Jews are treating you with contempt and desire to injure you. My city is very small, but highly esteemed, adequate for both of us. This is Jesus' reply to the top arch, Abgar, by the courier, Ananias. Happy are you who believed in me without having seen me. What is written of me that those who have seen me will not believe in me, and that those who have not seen will believe and live. As to your request that I should come to you, I must complete all that I was sent to do here, and on completing it, 
must at once be taken up to the one who sent me. When I have been taken up, I will send you one of my disciples to cure your disorder and bring life to you and those with you. To these letters is subjoined the following in Syriac. After Jesus was taken up, Judas, also known as Thomas, sent to him as an apostle the Deus, one of the seventy, who came and stayed with Tobias, son of Tobias. When his arrival was announced, and he had been made conspicuous by the wonders he performed, Abgar was told an apostle has come here from Jesus, as he promised you in his letter. Then Thaddeus began, in the power of God, to cure every disease and weakness, to the astonishment of everyone. When Abgar heard of the magnificent and astonishing things he was doing, and especially his cures, he began to suspect that this was the one to whom Jesus referred when he wrote in his letter, When I have been taken up, I will send you one of my disciples who will cure your disorder. So summoning Tobias, with whom Thaddeus was staying, he said, I understand that a man with unusual powers has arrived and is staying in your house and is working many cures in the name of Jesus. Tobias answered, Yes, sir, a man from foreign parts has arrived and is living with me and is performing many wonders. Abgar replied, Bring him to me. So Tobias went to Thaddeus and said to him, The top arch Abgar has summoned me and told me to bring you to him so that you can cure him. Thaddeus answered, I will present myself since the power of God has sent me to him. The next day Tobias got up early and escorted Thaddeus to Abgar. As he presented himself with the king's grandees standing there, at the moment of his entry a wonderful vision appeared to Abgar on the face of Thaddeus. On seeing it, Abgar bowed low before the apostle and astonishment seized all the bystanders for they had not seen the vision which appeared to Abgar alone. He questioned Thaddeus, Are you really a disciple of Jesus, the Son of God, who said to me, I will send you one of my disciples who will cure you and give you life? You wholeheartedly believed in the one who sent me, and for that reason I was sent to you, and again, if you believe in him, in proportion to your belief, shall the prayers of your heart be granted. Abkar says, I believe in him so strongly that I wanted to take an army and destroy the Jews who crucified him, if I had not been prevented from the imperial power of Rome from doing so. Thaddeus answers, Our Lord has fulfilled the will of his Father. After fulfilling it, he was taken up to the Father. I too have believed in him and in his Father. Thaddeus said, For that reason, I lay my hand on you in his name. When he did this, Abgar was instantly cured of the disease and disorder from which he suffered. It surprised Abgar that the very thing that he had heard about Jesus had actually happened to him through his disciple Thaddeus, who had cured him without drugs or herbs. And not only him, but also Abdus, son of Abdus, who had gout. He too came, and falling at his feet, found his prayer answered through the hands of Thaddeus, and was cured. Many other fellow citizens of theirs, Thaddeus restored to health, performing many wonders and preaching the word of God. After this, Abgar said, It is by the power of God that you, Thaddeus, do these things. And we ourselves were amazed. But I have a further request to make. Explain to me about the coming of Jesus, and how it happened, and about his power. By what power did he do the things I have heard about? Thaddeus replied, 
For the time being I shall say nothing, but as I was sent to preach the word, be good enough to assemble all your citizens tomorrow, and I will preach to them and sow in them the word of life about the coming of Jesus and how it happened, about his mission and the purpose for which his father sent him, about his power and his deeds and the mysteries he spoke in the world and the power by which he did these things, and about his new preaching, about the lowliness and humility, and how he humbled himself and put aside and made light of his divinity, was crucified and descended into Hades, and rent asunder the partition, which had never been rent since time began, and raised the dead, how he descended alone but ascended with a great multitude to his father, and how he is seated at the right hand of God the Father with glory in the heavens, and how he will come again with power to judge living and dead. After that he ordered gold and silver to be given to him, but the days refused them and asked, If we have left our own property behind, how can we accept other people's? Here we may leave for the present this valuable document, literally translated from Syriac. You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. Well, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to Like Flint Radio, and I'm joining you with my co-host Cliff Garner. We also have a very special guest today, and that is Stephen Missick. And Stephen, we just want to welcome you to the show, and please let us know a little bit about you. I know we're going to be talking about a number of things today, but um, just by way of starting, you let us know a little bit about you. Yes, I guess probably the main thing we're going to talk about today is the film project I'm working on. Uh, it's called The Acts of the Apostle Thaddeus, and we got Lorenzo Lamas in the title role, but I've a lot of things in my life. I've been a military chaplain in the National Guard. I've been deployed to Iraq twice. The first time I went was as a combatant, as a sergeant. The second time I went back as a chaplain. Hmm. I was there in 2003 and four, and then 2009 and 10. Still in the military. But back when I was in high school, I got a you know strong interest in uh, Middle Eastern Christianity. So as soon as I graduated from high school, I started traveling in the Middle East, and I've gone back several times. Uh, been to Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, the Holy Land, uh, Iraq for the war, Qatar, Kuwait. Uh, so I'm very interested in, in the region of the Middle East. And uh, in my studies of uh, Middle Eastern Christianity, I was particularly interested in the, the Coptic Church of Egypt mm. and also the uh, what used to be called the Nestorian Church, the Assyrian Church of the East. Mm-hmm. And I've spent a lot of time with Assyrian Christians in their community here in America, and I've been to Assyrian communities in the Middle East. I worked with a lot of Assyrian Christians when I was in Iraq for the war, and also in 2001, actually, September 2001, I was in Syria visiting uh, the Christian villages in the Kabul River Valley, and uh, right now those villages are under attack by ISIS, Mm. and it's really, to me, it's heartbreaking to, I mean, there's very nice, tranquil villages, and now ISIS has overrun many of them. They don't have any fortifications, you know, they're just 
farming villages. Yeah. And a lot of the churches I went to are probably, uh, you know, destroyed. Uh, I know some, several of them are destroyed, so it's really you know, sad to see that. But I had to decide, you know, uh, the thing that really interests me about the Assyrians is they still speak Aramaic language of Jesus Christ. So I thought, you know, it'd be fascinating to go to the Middle East and visit Christian villages where the people there actually speak the same language that Jesus spoke. And, and I was able to do that. Now these people are, you know, in danger from ISIS. They're basically facing, they are facing ethnic cleansing hmm. and uh, genocide. So I'm a, I'm a minister, and I've also, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. So I've written several books, and I've also made graphic novels of all things. Oh, wow. So, so I've done yeah. a lot. Uh, and I have a channel called Aramaic 12 where I you know, have uh, lectures I give on various biblical subjects and things like that. Okay. And what are some of the books that you have put out there? Well, one of the first books I, I wrote was about the Aramaic language and uh, the Assyrian people. I called that The Words of Jesus in the Original Aramaic. I actually wrote most of that in the Middle East hmm. uh, when I was visiting these Aramaic villages. So I've written several books on you know, the Aramaic Christian heritage and understanding the words of Jesus through his language. Uh, I wrote a book about, a children's book about what it's like to be deployed to Iraq. So, uh, <laughs> all the photographs I took over there. Well, I, the reason why I did that one was one day, one day I was teaching school. I was working as a substitute teacher years ago. Mm-hmm. And they had this book on Iraq, and it's for kids. It's called The Librarian of Basra. And it's about this poor librarian, and she's being attacked by American soldiers and trying to kill her and burn her library down. Oh. And I was looking at that, and I said, this is, this is nonsense. It's like, I was in Basra, and nobody is trying to kill any librarian or burn books down. Wow. So it really disturbed me. I was thinking, you know, a teacher's going to read this book to her children, and there's kids in here who might have a father, mother, or uncle, or brother in Iraq. Right. And so it's like, well... You know, so I thought that'd be traumatic for kids. I said, well, well, I need to make something that's, you know, shows what it's really like, you know, and maybe, right. you know, to help kids understand it, maybe sway their <laughs> fears. I also uh, I wrote a book on the life of Jesus called The First Year of the Life of Jesus called Christ the Man. And I'm working on a big project about Moses and the Exodus. Okay. So, uh, uh, oh, you're still working mistake. on that. Well, what I was trying to do is to understand Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses is a, a, yeah, a, you uh, know, a man yeah. of two cultures. He's Egyptian and he's also Hebrew. And it's like, well, how do you understand a man, you know, like that? How do we understand Egyptian uh, culture and civilization? Right. We're so far removed from it. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, through their mythology, try to find their worldview through their mythology. So I wrote a book on Egyptian mythology called the Aeneid, and then I wrote another book on uh, Canaanite mythology uh, mm-hmm. called the Epic of Baal, because the Bible is pretty right. clear. Oh, that's really good. I mean, yeah, the Bible is clear that the Jewish people, the Israelites in Egypt. They knew God as El Shaddai, but they were worshiping the gods of Egypt and the gods of Canaan. Hmm. Uh, for instance, you know, when, when Joshua brings the, the, the Jews into the Promised Land, he says, you know, put away the gods you worshipped in Egypt. And, uh, I mean, Moses says, well, what God should I tell them that, you know, is, is sending me to them? He says, well, uh, tell them that I am that I am. So they're, they were polytheistic. So that's the, until Moses had this encounter with God at Mount Sinai, the cultures that he he was growing up in were both an Egyptian and a Semitic uh, pagan culture. So wow. those are the first two stages of the book, and then the next one I'm going to try to do is Life of Moses. Hmm. And I watched the Exodus Gods and King movie. It's like, well, why should I do it now they've, they've done the movie? But uh, it was good in some ways, but I, I think i got a better vision of Moses now, so I'm going to continue with my work on Moses and Exodus. But another thing, the reason why I think the book is important is... Uh, I mean, the Canaanite mythology, a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament were wrestling with these false gods like Baal. 
for centuries. We see that combat with you know all the prophets, and people don't understand uh, Canaanite mythology. Hmm. Uh, we didn't really know anything about it until like 1929, when a lot of sacred texts were uh, discovered in uh, Rosh Shamar in Syria. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's essential to understand the Bible fuller, is to understand why they felt so tempted by you know idolatry and the gods of Canaan, and uh, why the, the the prophets had to struggle with introducing these people to the concept that there's only one God, and he's holy and good and just, and his name is, you know, Jehovah or Yahweh. Mm. Uh, yeah, so those are some of the books I wrote, and I'm still working, but now that, uh, well, one of the things I wrote years ago was about St. Thomas in India. Okay. And uh, the Assyrian Christians, they, they were a global church in the past, the old Nestorian church. They had churches in Iraq, Iran, Persia, Mongolia, China, and uh, they faced a decline for two reasons. One was the Black Death. The other was a Islamic radical warlord called Tamerlane. So all the churches they had in uh, China, Mongolia, disappeared. Hmm. But the church in, in India endured. And uh, there are ancient traditions that Doubting Thomas, one of the Twelve Apostles himself, went to India and founded the church there. So I wrote a paper, a research paper, it's like, okay, here's the stories. Are they true? And we don't have any, you know, solid proof that Thomas went to India, but the story is very ancient, and uh, it's a credible story. There's a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence that it is indeed true that Thomas went to India. So I wrote the the paper showing how it's very probable that these ancient stories are true. And uh, a movie producer contacted me back in May of 2014. It's like, oh, this is great for a movie. And I was thinking about it. It would be a good movie, especially since uh, Hollywood has been producing a lot of biblical epics lately that, that have been successful. And uh, there's, so we see the biblical films like Noah and Exodus, Gods and Kings, there's Son of God. The amazing thing about the Son of God movie, it was from a miniseries, and it was just television footage edited to a film and put in the movie theater, wow. and it succeeded. Hmm. So it's like, wow, there's a big desire, obviously, for biblical films. Right. And, of course, there's also faith-based movies, and then there's movies, a, a lot of films about India, like uh, Slumdog Millionaire and Life of Pi. There's other ones, Million Dollar Arm and several. I think Hollywood's realized that there's a big market for movies in India, and now you have an international Indian community. So the Thomas script, you have India, you have the Bible, and you have a faith-based movie. So I think, well, that's a great idea. We need to try to make this movie. Yeah. Uh, But I don't don't know about that producer working, and I started having second thoughts, but I have a friend who knows a movie producer here in the Houston area, mm-hmm. and he's agreed to produce the, the movie, sort of a lower-budget movie, but we're not doing Thomas first. We're going to do the Acts of the mm-hmm. Apostle Thaddeus. Wow. Now, Thaddeus was actually sent by Thomas, wasn't he? So that's the link there? Uh, well, uh, there's there's different traditions. Now, this is the story of, of, of Thaddeus is the story of the Assyrian people mm-hmm. uh, in, in Iraq, <laughs> in Iran, and in... The Kabul River Valley in Syria, there are many, uh, there used to be hundreds of thousands, almost a million uh, Christians there. Now, of course, their numbers have dwindled because of ISIS, but there's still about 100,000, maybe a couple hundred thousand uh, Assyrian Christians there that speak Aramaic. And their church was founded by Thaddeus, and Thaddeus went to a city called Edessa, uh, which is called Urfa today, and it's right across the border of Iraq in Turkey. Yes. Uh, Yes. Now, Cliff has just dropped out, but I know he's been there a few times, and I think he may have actually mentioned that to you. Yeah. But yes, it's it's really quite interesting to see 
some of these connections and these dots connect. Right. Yeah. The story is that there's a king named Abgar, and he heard about the miracle power of Jesus, and he had some kind of an ailment, leprosy or some other disease, mm-hmm. and he sent for Jesus to come and heal him. Yes. And uh, the, the the legend is that these messengers came to Jesus, like, during Passion Week, and Jesus said, well, you know, I can't go, but later on I'll send one of my disciples, and he will go to the king. Mm-hmm. So the story is on the day of Pentecost, Thomas sent Thaddeus to go to this king, and, and he went there and he healed the king, and, and the church of the East, the Assyrian Church of the East, was founded. And later on, Thomas himself went there. And uh, the story is found in, it's, it's very interesting, there's a man called Eusebius, uh, he's considered the father of church history, and he wrote the original history of the church in the year 325. And what he did was he picked up from where the book of Acts left off, and he told the stories of Philip and the Apostle, the continuing adventures of uh, James, the disciple, and Peter, and, and other disciples. And he has the story of Thaddeus. What's interesting is he went to the city archives, and he found records of the, the visit of, of Thaddeus and his preaching before uh, King Abgar. And the thing that's interesting about it, uh, I think that they'll draw a lot of the, uh, interest in the, in the project, is that there was an image uh, of the face of Jesus, which is associated with Edessa. And uh, many people that believe this, the Shroud of Turin is authentic, believe that, that the Shroud of Turin is the same thing as the holy image of Edessa, uh, an image of Jesus that was given by Thaddeus to King Abgar. Wow. So I've studied the Shroud, and there's been different carbon-14 tests. They contradict each other. They haven't been able to uh, prove it right or wrong through carbon-14 tests. But they know that, you know, is known of for sure in, like, the mid-1300s. And uh, as an art historian, as my minor in, in college, there wasn't the know-how to create that kind of image hmm. at that time. And no scholars have been able to, who studied the Shroud, have been able to prove how it was faked. So I, I think there's a small possibility it's a fraud, but I think the, the preponderance of evidence is that the Shroud of Turin is authentic. And I'm not going to say it's the, the, the Shroud or not. I'm going to let the audience uh, decide, but we're going to feature the story of the uh, image of Edessa also in the in the film. So people who are interested in the Shroud will be also interested in this, uh, the film we're doing. But now, what, I've been what, to that church that they, they used to have the Shroud at. In Edessa uh, or? Uh, yeah, in, in well, Edessa is Shanliurpa. Uh, and right. uh, that uh, church used to be a synagogue. And you can see uh, the design of the, uh, of the 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 tower that they now use for the Moazine. It used to be a Star of David from the air. But the well where they uh, do the uh, ablutions, that's where they threw the shroud down to hide it from the Arabs when they took over right. the city. Another interesting thing about the, uh, the story of Thaddeus is uh, there was, at the time of Jesus, a huge Jewish population in Mesopotamia. And uh, mm-hmm. the Acts of Thaddeus has Thaddeus going and visiting and preaching to the Jewish people. Mm. Uh, and what happens is King Abgar hears that there's a man who's come, you know, a Jew from Judea mm-hmm. and Galilee, in his land preaching to his Jewish subjects. And then when he heard about it, he sent for Thaddeus. So you have that connection in right. the ancient, uh, ancient oh, sources. Wow. Just a little background on where I first heard about Thaddeus, and that was actually in one of our little flakes, which is part of our show. Um, we all have a little kind of thing to contribute, and the thing that I enjoy reading is Eusebius <laughs> on the yeah, show, and I uh, often just take little bits out of it. And so that was the very, very first one that I read. That very first story was the story of King Abgar, who right. writes to Jesus. So I was just so excited when I heard that there was actually going to be a film put out right. about it. It's in Chapter 1 of Eusebius, actually, the first of his, uh, right. his books. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and one thing that was interesting is, you know, while I was doing research in the Shroud of Turin, there's different, you know, documentaries about the Shroud, and sometimes they have, like, historical dramatizations. And all the the movies mention, it's like, well, where did this image of Jesus come from? And they always, you know, they go back to the the image of Thaddeus, the image of Edessa. But they've never had a dramatization of the story of Thaddeus in all these documentaries, which is, you know, I thought, very curious. But we're going to do it. So this this production company has worked with Lorenzo Lamas a lot. I've I've met Lorenzo. I spent some time with him this week. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's famous for the Renegade, and he was in the original Grease with John Travolta mm-hmm. and Olivia Newton-John. And he's the son of uh, uh, Fernando Lamas, a big you know a golden age Hollywood celebrity. So it's very excited to have him you know him on the project. And he's uh, going to be playing um, Thaddeus, is he? Lorenzo Lamas has agreed to play the role of Thaddeus. Okay, that's that's correct. That's great. Uh, and uh, he's, I think he's a very talented actor, and he has you know, many, many years of experience mm-hmm. acting in, in film and in television. So it's really good to have him involved. But uh, you know, as I was saying, what, what I think about this, this film and uh, how it's important is I believe you know, we're going to try to uh, draw attention to this plight you know, with, with the Assyrian Christians, what we got, we got going on right now. Yeah. And, and it's something interesting that happened just today. I think you know the audience needs to know about, and I'm, I, I really respect him. But in uh, for doing this in 1914, mm-hmm. you know the Ottoman Empire, speaking about Turkey, which is where Edessa is today, you know they they killed as many many Assyrian Christians, but mostly uh, Armenians. So this is like the hundredth year anniversary of the uh, Armenian genocide. Oh, so wow. the Pope the Pope came out today and said, uh, "This is really strange, but this is what happened." He said, "You know." We condemn this as genocide. And Turkey does not want what they did called genocide. So they're very angry. They recalled their ambassador. But uh, I think it's very important for us to recognize what happened. Uh, this is a, a big, huge mass killing. And, and Hitler studied the tactics of the Turks, hmm. and he admitted mm-hmm. uh, that he had he drew inspiration to carry out the Jewish uh, uh, Holocaust based on what the Turks did to the Armenians and the Assyrians. Hmm. Shame. Cliffy, I know you dropped out there just for a little bit of that, yeah. but I'm sure you would be able to comment on it as well. So, Well, I've, I've read the same thing. Hitler studied the Armenian massacre. So, while I was over there, uh, there is a side to the Turkish argument, and it really has to do with terrorism. But the problem is, is that they don't want to address the situation whatsoever. And right. uh, they, they've avoided it uh, at all costs. Uh, what, and so what, the Armenian population is not happy. Yeah, well, there's there's very few. There used to be many Armenians left. They just get out of there because of the hostile climate. And uh, oh, yeah. the thing, another troublesome troublesome thing is that if you have there there have been two or three Turkish citizens who have gone through like mm-hmm. the National Archives and have written about it and uh, end up being assassinated mm-hmm. uh, for just saying, hey, this right. is what did happen, and and they'll kill them. And one thing that is troublesome is one journalist had written on the the, uh, the Turkish you know G- Armenian genocide. And uh, he yeah. was shot in the street. And uh, the next day, and the, all the police officers gathered around his assassin and posed with him, holding up the Turkish flag. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh, front dink. Yeah, and then and then what's worse than you know now we got a Muslim extremist president of uh, Turkey. And another thing that troubles me about it is uh, Turkey used to have a secular military, and even though they're a Muslim country, they're trying to be mm-hmm. a, uh, a secular state. And now their new prime minister is trying to make it into an Islamic state, and all the secularists in the oh, military, yeah. he's he's gotten rid of, and he put you know fellow uh, extremists in uh, important positions. Exactly. So, uh, 
I think it's sad to see Turkey changing uh, for the worse. And, uh, you know, it's, right. it's, it Turkey's is. the heartland of Christianity. Hmm. Uh, Edessa, uh, well, this is one of the oldest Christian uh, kingdoms, yeah. and uh, they know yeah. that for sure there's Abgar's great-great-great-great-great-grandson. There's a very strong evidence that he made Edessa a official Christian city-state, you know, hmm. almost 100 right. years before uh, Constantine. He actually wore a cross. Right, yeah, and then would have been, his, yeah, at least that. There's a lot of things we can go on about uh, about Turkey. The, the guy you're talking about, though, was uh, Hrant Dink, and he was a, an Armenian. Uh, actually, he was a Turk uh, that found out that he was actually Armenian. And so he, he did a lot of investigation into the whole thing. And when they murdered him, that like like you said, the, the, the police officers the next day were carrying the Turkish flags with the killer. Yeah, Well, I think the guy's still loose. Uh, they, they've never really pursued the, the, the case like they should because of the nationalism that goes behind it. And uh, Dink was an Armenian who rediscovered the fact that he was Armenian. There was a lot of people like that over there, and, uh, and a lot of them have uh, reconverted back from being Muslims. And wow. uh, that, just drives, that just drives people like Erdogan nuts. Well, he's trying to uh, not only uh, Islamize the military, but education. And he he was having help from uh oh what's his name in uh, Philadelphia I, I worked for the guy not Gul you know Gillen Gillen Fatila Gillen and uh, Gillen was uh was working on the military but but when he uh, fell out with uh, Erdogan Erdogan took up the slack uh, however what Gillen was doing with the police officers and with the prosecutors uh, right now uh, Erdogan's trying to pull those people out. Uh, because he considers them uh, non-patriotic now, uh, because they're, they're they're not his kind of Muslim. See, it really gets into into some really nasty inter-Muslim uh, hatreds that uh, just won't go away. Go ahead. After after the Armenian genocide, uh, I forget his name, but the founder of modern Ataturk, that's his name. Mm-hmm. He really changed the Turkish. Uh, I mean, he was probably behind a lot of the genocide himself, but he wanted Turkey to mm-hmm. be more westernized. So instead of using the, he used to use the Arabic alphabet, just like uh, if you go to Iran today, people in the West, you know, a lot of Americans, they, you know, it's hard for them to fathom, you know, fathom everything in the Middle East. But, you know, Iran's, they're not, they're Muslims, but they're not Arabs. They're Persians. Mm. And uh, they actually speak right. Indo-European language related to European language, not to, to Semitic languages like Arabic. Wow. Uh, so they write their language right. with the Arabic script, but they don't speak Arabic. Uh, and that's what the Turks are doing too. They speak a, a you know a Central Asian Eastern language, Turkic, and uh, they change from the Arabic alphabet to the Roman alphabet. And then, of course, you know, Ataturk also made the the secular military. But now they're uh, it's changing, but not just Turkey, but in Egypt. And uh, Egypt was the first Middle Eastern country I went to. You know, I lived with the Coptic Christians in, in Egypt. And, and about, what was it, the end of February, they decapitated 21 Coptic Christians in Edebicha and in Libya. Hmm. But you, you see these countries, like uh, I was, this man was writing about, you know, the rise of radicalism in Egypt. There's a class of 1955, and all the young men looked like Elvis Presley, and all the girls were uh, dressed up like Priscilla Presley. And then they had next to it the class of 2005, mm-hmm. and all the guys had beards and robes on. The girls were wearing burkas and uh, hijabs. So, uh, you know, it's, instead of seeing moderation, we're, we're seeing the countries uh, over there embrace, you know, radicalism and extremism, unfortunately. Wow. 
Yeah, it's actually very sad to see what what's happening. You know what what bothers me is you know I lived in Egypt. It's a nice country. I like to you know to visit the, the pharaonic ruins and people are friendly, especially the the Coptic Christians. But just to to see the the rise of extremism there, and uh, I'm glad they have a more moderate president that that Sisi came into power. You know, of course, he had Morsi for a while, and they're actually they're literally the government was killing Christians. Peaceful Christians are just demonstrating for their rights. You know, was killing them in the mm-hmm. streets. So, yeah, we see bad things in Libya and and, and Turkey, but it, with uh, a moderate, uh, more tolerant leader in, in General Sisi, it looks to me like Egypt is starting to move in the uh, the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think there's hope for a, a better future. But what Turkey needs to do is just uh, you know come to terms with its past and just deal with the facts right. instead of covering them up. I mean, people would not tolerate. I remember I was a kid, and there's a. Uh, Somebody was running for presidency in, in Austria, and he was saying, well, we should respect our World War II veterans, and he was talking about national pride, and, and they got all over him as like uh, saying he's a Holocaust denier, and you know, of course he wasn't able to be the president of Austria uh, based on some of his statements, but we allow, right. so they won't tolerate a, a Holocaust denier to come to power in, in uh, Germany or Austria. But, you know, that's, that's the this official government policy in Turkey is a Holocaust denial. So, you know, history oh, yeah. is important. And, yeah, when I, I, I read uh, Eusebius' church history, you know, many years ago. And, you know, what struck me about it is it starts off, it, it's the history of persecution of the early church. You know, it talks about the burning of Rome and Nero and how he was, you know, feeding Christians to lions and crucifying them and going mm. on to uh, uh, his own day. Mm. Shortly before right. the conversion of Constantine in, in Egypt, Egypt's uh, calendar begins with the, the rule of Diocletian, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, thousands okay. of Christians were, were slaughtered by uh, the Roman emperor Diocletian shortly before the time of Constantine. It's so bad, so many people died, that the Coptic Christian of Egypt, their ecclesiastical calendar begins with that, uh, that persecution. Mm-hmm. So I think these, these stories are, uh, are important. And, uh, you know, I read this yeah. story, it's very inspirational, but, uh, you know, I'm Honestly, you know, reading that, it's like, well, thank God that Constantine, you know, put an end to that. It was time for the church to, you know, move forward free of, of persecution so it could develop, uh, you know, in more new and positive ways That's right. as, it, as it did. Yeah. And so uh, Tertullian said, uh, this is an example, Tertullian was a, of Carthage. He's a great church father. I think he wrote from the year 180 to the year 220. Very intelligent person, right. very, very, uh, right. get a good sense of humor, uh, you know, he's a good, a good writer. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he made the comment that the blood of the uh, martyrs is the seed of the church. And at his time, that might have been true, but we need to understand is uh, not all the Roman emperors persecuted Christians. Right. Uh, Commodus, who was in the, uh, the Gladiator movie, he actually thought, you know, I mean, he didn't believe in Christianity. He was like, well, why should I waste my time and resources persecuting these harmless people? Wow. Uh, Philip the Arab, uh, there's indications that he was a Christian, but he never went public with his faith. Yeah. He was assassinated before he could do that. Oh, so uh, it, it wasn't, you know, solid persecution for over 200 years. Some poly- t- tolerated Christianity, but it was, uh, it was unstable. And, of course, right before Constantine, it was one of the worst par- uh, persecutions in Di- Diocletian. Yeah. Uh, but if you look right. at Carthage today, there's hardly any Christians there. Because, you know, they have 1,400 years of, you know, unending persecution of Christians under Islamic rule, and it just led to the extinction of Christianity and, and uh, wow. uh, that one. So well, yeah, yeah, the North Africa died out really quickly. Right, except for Egypt. Uh-huh. It died out. And it's really surprising because uh, most of it's the jizya and the, the regulations they put on the Christians, 
But uh, some of the greatest thinkers in church history, uh, like Tertullian, but also Augustine of Hippo, who mm-hmm. was a Berber. Uh, he's half sure. uh, Phoenician Carthaginian and half Berber. And uh, I don't agree with all this theology, but you can't really understand the Protestant Reformation without understanding uh, Augustine's theology. He's had a huge sure. influence on the Roman Catholic Church and uh, on the Protestant Reformation and Protestant theology to this day. I mean, Calvin is heavily based on uh, uh, this Berber church father. Right. But now if you go to uh, Algeria, where he was from, there's, there's no, no Christians there anymore. And part of it is the persecution that, that uh, uh, Muslims carried out. That's one thing. I'm, I think that uh, people aren't aware of the persecution that Eastern Christians have gone under and are going under today, because when we study church history, we study it from a Eurocentric point of view. And uh, a lot of great things came out of Europe, but that's not the whole story. So what they do is we study Augustine and the rise of Islam, we, we drop off the, the study of African and Asian Christianity mm-hmm. until the missionaries get there. But there's a lot of stuff going on in Egypt and with the Assyrians. They have a lot of uh, theologians and Bible commentaries and, and things like that, but mm-hmm. it's just not part of the Western tradition. Very few people are aware of it. And it hasn't been taught until recently. Now there's been innovations in church history. It's like, okay, yeah, Europe played an important part, but let's not forget the Assyrian Church in the east of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, part of their history is Every hundred years, there's two or three persecutions that they and massacres they they dealt with, but you know it's just not studied. Uh, and since we don't know that history, you know, Muslims say, "Oh, the Christians had it better under Islam than they had it under Byzantine rule." It's like, says who? <laughs> you know, Muslim apologists yeah. will say that, but since we don't know yeah, church right. history, people say, oh, "Oh, really? Wow, that's interesting." But uh, there are actually books. If you get my, I have a book called "The Language of Jesus: Introducing Aramaic," and uh, mm-hmm. part of that is an Aramaic resource guide. And in the back of it, I list several books that have been published recently that tell the story of the uh, the Assyrian Church of the East. And uh, I've been to Egypt. I'd like right. to do the same thing for the Coptic Church because I mean they've suffered persecution uh, mm-hmm. under Islamic rule, mm-hmm. you know, uh, regularly, really. Yeah. And uh, I think people need to be aware of that. And I, I think that when you look at what's going on in the world today, I think that the West and Christians, we need to dialogue with Muslims, and we need to encourage moderate Islam. Sure. And uh, that's, you know, I, I've gotten arguments about Because, you know, I went to war with Iraq, and, the, you know, the war in Iraq war is controversial. Mm. And I think there's a place for, like with ISIS, I really believe that the world community needs to go in there and, and subdue these people militaristically. And it'll probably happen within yeah. the next three or four years. Uh, so I think that that's that's warranted, but we have to we have to pursue peaceful ways to end uh, radicalism. Right. And I've gotten arguments yeah. about it, and I I thought I've, my my plan is I call it the four principles of moderate Islam. We need to hold the Muslim com- community re- responsible, and it's like well, sure. people say is, sure. Islam needs to reform itself, and it, that's an internal Muslim issue. It's not an internal Muslim issue when they're doing ethnic cleansing and genocide. When they're killing Christians, what they believe that motivates them to do that becomes our interest, mm-hmm. and it becomes our obligation to speak out against it. So my theory of foreign principles of moderate Islam is, number one, uh, moderate Muslims need to renounce jihad everywhere. No religious violence anywhere in the world. Uh, secondly, Muslims need to recognize that an Egyptian should be an Egyptian citizen. There should be no religious discrimination at all. It shouldn't matter if you're a Muslim mm-hmm. or a Coptic Christian, you're an Egyptian citizen. So they need to stop religious discrimination. If they believe in any, well, well it's a Muslim-majority country, so what? 
you need to respect minority rights. If they think that Christians should be treated differently because they're not Muslims, then they're not a they're not a moderate. They're an extremist. If they're going to claim they're a, a moderate. We need to hold them accountable and say this is what a moderate is. The other two would be Sharia laws or personal lifestyle choice. And uh, if somebody, mm-hmm. sometimes they try to introduce Sharia law in like uh, in England, even here in America, they try to introduce have uh, Islamic jurisprudence operating. Uh, we have a constitutional law in the United States. We can't have another, and we have separation of church and state. We can't have Islamic law operating. But Muslims will protest and say, well, I can't be a Muslim without Sharia law. And my response to that is like, fine, <laughs> if you want to practice Sharia law, it's a personal lifestyle choice. You can't impose it on anyone. And, of course, that means that if somebody wants to right. eat a hamburger during the fast of Ramadan, they should be able to do it. Or if a woman wants to wear a veil, she can do it. If she wants to take the veil off, she'd have, she could have that right. And the fourth principle I think is also important, and it's that uh, Muslims need to, to renounce the belief that a Muslim who converts to a different religion should be put to death. Yeah. And this has been on the news twice in uh, the past couple of years. We have Pastor Abedini, an American uh, citizen, mm-hmm. who he he go back, he was born in Iran, and he was going over there helping Christian orphans and preaching in Christian churches, doing mm-hmm. good deeds, not mm-hmm. bothering Muslims or anything. Right. But because his biological father was a Muslim, even though he wasn't raised Muslim, and he just went on his personal right. religious search and found Christianity, even though he wasn't raised Muslim, yeah. his father was a Muslim by name, and therefore, you know, they're, they're afraid to kill him, but they're torturing him in jail, and he's been in prison for over two years now. That's right. Uh, because yeah. Sharia law says he should be put to death. Mm-hmm. And then we had a woman named Miriam Ibrahim. That's she was right. in Sudan, yeah. and her story was... Her father was a, you know, biological father was a Muslim, but he's a deadbeat dad that abandoned her. She's raised by a Christian mother, never knew anything about Islam, so she falls in love with a man, she's going to marry a Christian. And so they arrest her and sentence her to death for trying to marry a Muslim and for practicing Christianity. Yes. She was able, the only reason why she was able to escape because her, her husband was an uh, American citizen. So those, those laws and ideas need to change. I, I agree, and I've certainly seen in the last little while a lot of the South African Muslim community have gotten up and basically spoken out against what is happening with extremism, and it's been really refreshing to see that because one of the biggest um, arguments I hear is just that not enough is being said by Muslims about what's happening. And um, right. so I was really encouraged to see imams get up and actually say this right. is wrong. And um, and for me that was encouraging and I, and I would I hope that the rest of the world would follow suit. So right. they've certainly been under pressure about it, and they've certainly been threatened, actually, for their comments. But at the end of the day, at least they've taken a stand, and I think that that really is a good thing. So, That's, yeah. that's why I really admire General Sisi in, uh, in Egypt. And mm-hmm. uh, having been in Egypt, you know, you had the Muslim Brotherhood take over. And right. I would say, being in Egypt, you, I, I went there three times, and every time I could see that there's a big, you know, fundamentalist Islamic movement getting bigger and bigger. So they probably have 50% of the country is, is radicalized now. Yeah. But 50% of the rest of the country is moderate and Christian. There's mm-hmm. millions of Christians in Egypt. So when Morsi comes to power and he's going to take Egypt into the 600s, uh, half that country's not going with him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, because yeah. half the country is Christian and moderate. And so they got rid of him, and now you have a moderate ruler, thank, mm-hmm. thank God. So there are Muslims who are speaking out for moderation, and they did they need our support. So I yeah. hope that America continues to support General Sissy, and I'm glad to see uh, people step in the right direction. Yeah, for um, 
I want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the movie project in case your sure. audience is interested in, in what we're doing with that. Well, I'd love to ask uh, you maybe just about the movie project um, and as we were talking about Eusebius and stuff, and then perhaps we can talk a little bit further. But something I just wanted to ask you was, is there any other historical evidence for the story of Thaddeus in other documents? Yes. Uh, when, I, when I wrote this story... Well, first off, I was trying to do the Thomas movie, but when I wrote the Thomas script, I also told the story of Thaddeus because they're connected. Uh, so that was going to be featured in the movie. So I already did some research with that. And we have what Eusebius wrote. And about uh, 70, 60, 70 years after Eusebius wrote his, he went there and he wrote the story of Thaddeus, and he included his version of the story in his ecclesiastical history. Mm-hmm. Then the, in the Aramaic language, in Syriac, uh, the Assyrians wrote an account called the Doctrine of Adai, or the, you know the, the Doctrine of Thaddeus, and it tells a more fuller story, expanding on uh, based on their traditions on what Eusebius wrote. So I, I have a copy of that. I've read it, and Thaddeus is considered one of the twelve apostles, but he worked with the seventy evangelists. Mm-hmm. Jesus had twelve. Mm-hmm. He had twelve apostles. He had seventy disciples as well, and Thaddeus also mm-hmm. worked with the seventy. So there's a story called the Acts of Mari, uh, mm-hmm. which is another Aramaic account. But then, we're talking about the Armenians earlier, and the story is that Thaddeus went to Armenia, and he was captured by the Armenian king Sanatruk, who uh, martyred him, uh, basically. Hmm. So uh-huh. the story is based on the writings of Eusebius, the Aramaic writings called the, uh, the Doctrine of Adai, and the, the Acts of the Apostle Thaddeus, as well as, a, uh, I think it's Moses of Khorasan, uh, is an Armenian uh-huh. historian who told the story of uh, Thaddeus. So it's based on, on these four accounts. So his, his end in Armenia, then? Uh, well, I, I have to put the uh, traditions together, but I, yeah, he, I have him yeah. arrested and uh, tortured, and later dying from the, the torturing of uh, uh, Sanatruk, the king. And he's also, we know right. that Abgar Kama is a historical person, so is uh, Sanatruk. Mm-hmm. And the story is right. that the, the daughter of Sanatruk, Sanduk, Sanduk is his daughter. He's Sanatruk. I mean, these are strange-sounding names for us, but uh, she converted Christianity, yeah. Sanduk did, and then Sanatruk put her to death and sent Thaddeus to death as well. Wow. So I'm, uh, I'm including the uh, Armenian legends. And this is another thing I want to talk about, is I want to make this movie as accurate to the text as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you have to use some dramatic license to, sure. to you know, sure. tell it in an enticing way to a, yeah. a modern audience, but I want to try to stay as uh, true to the text as possible. And uh, I was doing some costume design, and I found, you know, pictures of statues of one of the King Abgars and also of Santa Troop. They, they pretty much dressed the same at that time. So then I'm watching this right. video of the museum in Mosul. And ISIS, these, these statues, which I consulted for my historical research for costume design for this movie, ISIS was taking sledgehammers and destroying them. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the sources I was using for this film... It's being destroyed. So artifacts from the time of Thaddeus, and of course, from much older periods, artifacts from the time of biblical. I mean, these artifacts. I mean, the, in ISIS's point of view, they're pagan statues. And when I was in your in, uh, in Egypt, the fundamentalists there sometimes would just they would run into the Egyptian museum with hammers and start you know attacking statues, and uh, the cops mm-hmm. of course arrest them. So I, I, I've seen this mentality before. Uh, but right. it's really distressing to see some of my historical, you know, uh, research statues from the time of Thaddeus showing us how people lived, worked, and dressed yeah. being destroyed. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. biblical artifacts from the time of Daniel, Ezekiel, and, and other prophets. I mean, not only did they go in the museum of, of Nineveh, which is Mosul, where Jonah preached, 
they destroy all the artifacts yeah. here. They've destroyed uh, Nimrud and Hatra, and Hatra was uh, featured in the beginning of the ex- the Exorcist. So yeah. these people are they're, they're yeah. trying to destroy the Assyrians off the face of the earth. Wow. They're doing genocide, mass killings, ethnic cleansing, and they're not just they're not satisfied with just forcing these people out of the Middle East. They're destroying all evidence of their historical legacy of the past, mm. and uh, I, right. I, this isn't this isn't just their history. These are the earliest civilizations, you know, on Earth. It's everyone's history, mm. and uh, right. like I was talking about, trying to understand Moses. It's like Moses grew up in two pagan cultures, an Egyptian pagan culture and a Semitic pagan culture. So I, you know, try, I use the archaeological findings to understand. Moses' worldview. And mm-hmm. to understand the Bible better, we need to, to see Nineveh and Nimrud and, and these, uh, right. these places, and they're being destroyed by ISIS right now. And it's very disturbing to me that the, the world community just looks the other way and allows this to happen. Mm-hmm. So what I hope, and we got a good we got a good cast with Lorenzo Lamas, and we got a good production crew who's very talented. We're filming this movie in, uh, in Houston. Yes, we're ta- telling the story of the apostles, we're telling the stories of, of Jesus Christ. And that's the, the central theme of the film is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one of the motivations, the, the second point in this movie is like, this is who the Assyrian people are. This is the oldest Christian community founded by the Apostle Thaddeus and Thomas. And this is their historical mm-hmm. legacy. And uh, it's important, and we shouldn't allow genocide. And, it, you know, people after the, the Holocaust in Germany, people say never again. Well, it's happening again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we it can is. stop it. Mm-hmm. And, but nobody's trying to stop it. So I guess... It looks like I think things are going to change in the next three years uh, once we get a change of administration in America. I think that you know the United States is probably going to take the leadership in, in doing something about ISIS. But right now, you know, they said never again, but they're letting it happen again in front of our eyes. Yeah. So the movie yeah. is going to hopefully force the world to look at this and hopefully motivate people to take action to stop these atrocities from happening. And I suppose well, yeah. we also should be really praying for the people you know that are caught up in this yeah. and. Um, I think we, we need to pray, of course, and uh, what I'm concerned about, I mean, this, this year has been really bad for the Assyrian people, because mm-hmm. first ISIS started rising in May, and then they, they, you know, they're attacking the Yazidis, who are peaceful people. Right. You know, they're, they're, the Yazidi religion sounds very strange to us, and you know, maybe it is a weird religion, yeah, it does. but these people, <laughs> because uh, it, it sounds like they're devil worshippers, you know, if you're, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what is this? But... They are very peaceful people. Yeah. They don't. They they get along well with the Christians, with the Muslims. They don't bother anybody. And here they are, you know, being attacked because I don't understand their religion. Maybe only they can understand their religion. But yeah, you know, they're peaceful the people. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, well, you're devil worshippers. Not not quite. It's, it seems that way, but they're not like Satanists. I think I don't. I don't know exactly. It's, you have to go research on it. One good thing about this is now there's more information. I've done a little about research on them. I met quite a few of them uh, when I was in uh, when I was in Urfa and Antakya yeah. and out, out they're east. Not, yeah, they're not. They're, they're nice violent. people. They're they're good people. They're you know, uh, and they they have good relations with the Christians and the and the Muslims. So you know, the ISIS is targeting the uh, the Yazidis and the Assyrians, and uh, it started off in Iraq and then mm-hmm. villages I visited in the Kabul River Valley soft targets. They're uh, attacking them. So. Uh, uh, it's not safe anymore, so all these Christians have to go to Hasaki, which is a it's a nice little city, but it's a small city. So Hasaki is going to be like mm-hmm. overpopulated. And in Iraq, for months, you had hundreds of Christians just uh, sleeping out under the stars every night. They had no yeah. no shelter at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, American Assyrians were able to build you know makeshift structures for them uh, when the winter came. Mm-hmm. 
but these people are still displaced and have no place to go. And now there's more refugees because they attacked uh, the Kibble River Valley. And like I said, that really breaks my heart, yeah. uh, seeing a place where I lived and villages I've visited several times. Now those people, people I probably knew and met, uh, they have 300 hostages, Assyrian hostages, and uh, they're asking for a ridiculous amount of money. They want, they're, they're demanding $100,000 for each hostage. Wow. So with as many as they have, they're asking for like $30 million. And there's no way the Assyrian international community can raise that much money. And I pray that somehow these people are delivered because uh, we've seen what ISIS is capable of doing, you know, sawing people's heads oh, yeah. off, shooting. I've seen them. I've, I don't like to watch a lot of those videos. I don't want those images in my mind. But I, I have seen mass shootings uh, where they had Christians and uh, Syrian army soldiers, and they just take them out by the dozens, line them up, and shoot them. Mm. Uh, so I just uh, pray to God uh, that those people are delivered. But uh, there are ways to give. There's uh, the Barnabas Fund, which is a great organization mm-hmm. that, that helps uh-huh. Middle Eastern Christians and refugees. And there's also the Syrian Aid Society and other organizations. So uh, I hope people can give. Also, if people want to support this film project, uh, I'm lining up for some financing, but we, we need more. And there's a crowd fundraising site. Uh, it's, we got to see Acts of Thaddeus at Kickstarter. Uh, I also have mm-hmm. promotional videos available on YouTube at the YouTube channel, Aramaic 12. That's Aramaic and the, the numerals 1 and 2 after it. And also I have a blog called Aramaic Herald where I list all these things about the, the film project. But I think, this is a, I think this is a very important project. Another thing I'm trying to do is I'm getting the Assyrian church and the Assyrian Christian community over here involved in the, prod, uh, the uh-huh. project. So we're going to get Assyrians as producers and I'm going to try to have uh, uh, Syrian Americans as acting roles as well, hopefully important oh, roles. So uh, I want this, this. This is their story, yeah. the story of the Assyrian people. I want to bring them involved, so they're they're actively involved in production, and also uh, get some young Assyrians and maybe some older Assyrians opportunity to act and and tell you know directly participate in telling mm-hmm. their their story, the origin of their culture uh, as it exists today. Yeah, and in terms of the actual film project at the moment, um, you guys are probably in the planning stage from what I can gather, and when do you guys hope to start filming? My goal is uh, try to secure the funding by the end of May. We do have some people who are, who are donating to fund the, the film, and if other people want to support, I think it's an important project, a good project, they give that the, the Kickstarter. But I'm aiming to start production probably around July the 26th to start filming okay. this summer. And I have, uh, we've already got, uh, we got the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wayne built a set for the, uh, for his Alamo movie. Mm-hmm. And over the, yeah. over the decades, until recently, that's an active movie set. But there is a portion, it's supposed to be Mexican village, but it looks like a biblical village. So wow. this week I'm going out there and I'm going to visit the Alamo village uh, movie set built by John Wayne in 1959. It's still standing, and hopefully we're going to film most of the movie there here in, in Texas. So uh, I also, I've been able to get costumes. I've got a lot of screen-used costumes. A lot of costumes are used in Spartacus, some mm-hmm. costumes which were used in the, the Rome miniseries on HBO. Mm-hmm. And I have several costumes and suits of armor that were used in Dwayne Johnson's uh, Hercules movie that came out oh, recently. Wow. So oh, I got wow. Yeah, good costumes from good productions and uh, a good set, and we have a, a great, talented actor uh, in Lorenzo Lamas. So uh, you know, this, this project is going forward. And it's an important story. Like I said, uh, to me, uh, I think this world 
needs the story of love, kindness, forgiveness, and compassion taught by Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So we're going to point mm-hmm. the the audience to Jesus and his message of love, but we're also going to tell the story of the Assyrian people. And we're going to do kind of a frame story that, that brings in uh, what ISIS is doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, who are the Assyrian right. people? We'll just, we'll just start it showing, you know, in the beginning, showing Christian refugees fleeing. It's like, this mm-hmm. is something happening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully, soon, ISIS will be destroyed, and I, I hope that the Assyrian community there does not disappear, but they're able to live securely in their homeland, and many of them want to continue to live there. Yeah. So, if we get, if they get through this, this is something that needs to be remembered. So this movie is going to be uh, an oh, internal yeah. message, you know, that that this genocide, this attempted genocide, happened, but also, you know, this is an ancient uh, historic community started by uh, one of the actual uh, followers of Jesus Christ, one of his twelve disciples. Certainly. Wow, that's awesome. It's not not only a good story, but it's also timely, very yeah. timely. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and and if this uh, this this film project is successful, of course, the next phase will be telling the story of Thomas in India. Sure. The reason why I chose to do Thaddeus first, yeah, we got a good director, we got a good uh, actor in Lorenzo Lamas, we got a good set and costumes, but we can do this film on a lower budget. Mm-hmm. But thinking about right. Thomas, where you actually have him going to India, uh, you know probably taking a boat there and wait. I have him going to India uh, like like Paul did different missionary tours. Uh I think Thomas probably did different missionary tours as well. So that's how I tell the story. Uh but through Thomas Wright it's probably gonna take a, a, a over a million dollars, so wow. it's gonna be a bigger budget yeah. picture. I heard a lot of Thomas's story from the guy that had the Bible store on Eastiqual and uh in Istanbul. And he had gone out there a few times and spent spent a few months out there uh, researching it. He he was saying it was like uh, it was kind of like Paul, where he would he would go a few different times, and that he right. was finally uh, finally pierced with a sword. Right, just like the uh, uh, the story of Thaddeus. There's a Acts of the Apostle Thomas, which is written in Syriac, uh, right. which is a form of Aramaic. Mm-hmm. And uh, in southern India today, there's a state of Kerala. And they used to belong to the Assyrian Church of the East. Some of them still do, many, many do, but it's probably mostly Syrian Orthodox and Catholic. There's a lot of Pentecostal Christians there. But about one-fifth to 25% or so of the population of Kurla, India, is Christian, and they're they're St. Thomas Christians. And there's seven churches which they believe were founded by Thomas. And then uh, in the bordering state, Tamil Nadu, uh, used to be called Madras, now it's called Chennai. And uh, that's mm-hmm. where Thomas yeah. was martyred. Uh, the thing, I went to India, what was it, last year? Uh, I did a evangelistic uh, outreach uh, in Hyderabad. I haven't been able to go to where Thomas went yet. That's my goal is to trace the, the steps of uh, St. Thomas okay. in India. Wow. Uh, I think that'd be, a, that'd be a good experience. I've been yeah. to India, but I haven't, haven't done that. But if you go to India now, they're changing the names of everything. It's, it's crazy. Like Bombay is uh-huh. Mumbai, and uh, Kolkata has changed, and Madras has right. changed. But the funny thing is, is uh, in Bombay, nobody calls M- Bombay Mumbai. <laughs> you know, right. Nobody calls it Bombay. It's just like, it's this anti-colonialism thing. It's like, oh, we're right. going to change all the names because there are names that are imposed on. But some of the names are not imposed by the West. They're just uh, changing it, you know, I, I guess to assert their own. Uh, it's, it's confusing, though, if you're trying to go to India and everything's not called right. what it used to be called. <laughs> so, yeah, I But I'm imagine. looking forward to hopefully uh, going to India again. But... 
There's also persecution, unfortunately, in, in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why right. I want to tell the story of Thomas, because you have Hindu nationalists, and they have this idea that if you're not Hindu, you're not essentially right. Indian. And, right, uh, they're, they're, they're going after Muslims, too. Yeah, yeah, the Muslims and Christians. Uh, and I, there's a National Geographic a few years ago did a, uh, they had a cover story on the Twelve Apostles, and it was talking about in there, uh, I think it's 2008, persecution of Christians in, in Arisa State. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, persecution is ramping up in, in India, too. So when I make the, the story of Thomas, also I, I hope if, if, if we make Thaddeus and move on to Thomas, I want to get the St. Thomas Christians involved in making the movie. And the point will be, right. it's like, look, they're part of India. They've been part of India you know, over 2,000 years. That One of mm-hmm. Jesus' sure. 12 disciples founded this community. Mm-hmm. Um but when I went to India, I was surprised to learn that Christianity is the third largest religion in India. Hmm. Uh, there's yeah. uh, millions and millions of, of Christians. Of course, it, it's Hindu, then it's Muslim, uh, and then mm-hmm. it's Christian, and then other religions like uh, Jainism, Buddhism, Sikhism. Uh, uh, but Christianity Sikhs. is mm-hmm. the third largest religion. Uh, more, yeah. more, there's more Christians than Sikhs and Jains uh, uh-huh. in India. So it's it's an important community. It's a very ancient community. And uh, through telling this movie, they actually made a movie called uh, Marthoma Schlika back in the 70s, but it looks like a, a Hollywood movie made in the 1940s. And it's all in Malayalam, mm-hmm. so nobody can understand it. <laughs> you know, wow. there's no subtitles <laughs> in the version I saw. So uh, I think the story needs to be told. This will be the first movie about Thomas telling about Thomas going to India. Mm. And I think sure. it needs to be told uh, with Indian precipitation, but, but to a global audience. Yeah. And I think that it also right. talks to uh, people in the West multiculturalists, they they kind of look at Christianity as a, you know, a, a European religion, and it's not, you know. Uh, you no. Know, uh, the oldest, some of the oldest Christian, like Ethiopia is a Christian nation, and it has uh, uh-huh. no connection, I mean, it has a connection to the Coptic Church of Egypt, and then the Christians of, uh, uh, the, the, the story of these people, the, the Christians in, in, in Asia and in Africa, uh, I think it's it's high time to, to, to let these stories be told. Okay. Yeah, definitely, and and in a credible way, which I think is you know often when things get very Hollywoodfied, um, the the storyline also <laughs> gets Hollywoodfied. Yeah, I, I think and there's so... obviously a uh, a market. I think uh, for some reason, for for decades, you know, Hollywood's been resistant to making biblical films. But then Mel, you know, Mel Gibson made his Passion of the Christ film, and it made almost a yeah. billion dollars worldwide. And it's like, wow, there's a huge market for faith-based films. So now we're starting oh, yeah. to see, uh, you know, Hollywood's about making money. It's a business. Sure. And that also did very well in Muslim countries. Yeah, and that's. I think that's good. I think that I've read oh, the yeah. Quran, and I think that uh, oh, yeah. maybe if, if they would read the Bible and actually understand what Christians believe, uh, maybe you'd have more tolerance and mutual respect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think it's great that they, they saw that film. One uh, of the things I found in Turkey is that uh, there, there's a lot of people that, and, and and they're not always really forthcoming in telling you why, but but there's a lot of people that have uh, have come to a point of where they're either a semi-secret Christian or they are Christians and they're not being enumerated because the government doesn't want those numbers out. And but they're going to the churches and and they wow. and they're not they're not very loud and they're not very vocal because it's really dangerous. But they uh, right. but they are there, and like, and uh, uh, the church I went to uh, had had a whole bunch of. Uh, People from uh, Turkey and just all all the ethnicities of Turkey, but there were also a lot of people that had come from uh, from the Arabic countries and from uh, and especially from uh, Iran 
that were becoming Christians, becoming baptized, and going back. Well, and uh, officially, Turkey is only one percent Christian, but in yeah, Egypt, officially. under under Mubarak, they they officially they officially counted Christians as six uh, percent. And the reason why they right. did that is probably some Coptic Christians think that that Egypt is twenty five percent Christian. Wow. It's probably at least ten percent. There are millions of Christians in Egypt, but the government That's actually what I hear. doesn't want to give them representation in their parliament. Mm -hmm. So. That's why they they understand exactly. them. So and then in, in Turkey, I mean, the, the president's a Muslim. Oh yeah, fanatic. he's got Al Qaeda sympathies. Well, so he's uh, he's making yeah, sure that the numbers are low, but they're they're much higher than he's making them out to be. Yeah. But not only that, a lot of the Muslims have uh, actually borrowed certain aspects of Christian theology. For one thing, that they think of God as being a God of love, and that we're all yeah. brothers. Right. And and That's and not, if you read. The Quran, you don't find that. It's not in no. there. Yeah, the Quran focuses on the judgment of God and the, you know, the need for Muslims to fight in, in all this cause. Well, the, the, yeah, the extreme gulf between God and his creation, too. And right. and, and uh, right. these people don't think that. They think God is very near. And, right, uh, right. and that's from Christians. Uh, I, I find yeah. that really interesting. Yeah, it, it yeah. is. I, I hope, like I said, I hope that we have moderate and, uh, moderation and tolerance and uh, mutual respect. But a part of the reason why I think that uh, Pastor Abedini has been arrested and tortured is because there's a huge Christian house church movement in Iran where former Muslims oh, yeah. are, are worshipped. And uh, I guess they identified Pastor with that movement, and that's why he's arrested and tortured. Hmm. Yeah, I met some of those people that went back. They're very brave people. And I, I think the only word I can use is I was honored to have made their acquaintance in the church I went to. Because when they first started uh, going to church, they didn't have any intention of going back. But when they got baptized, very often they felt the need to do that. And it's amazing how many there are. Uh, you know, God is moving in a very important way there. Yeah, I uh, think that. And I, I was blessed to see that. God can take it, can take evil things and uh, turn them around for good. Like, I went to Egypt and visited the Assyrian people the first time, like, over 20, 20 years ago, and then 15 years ago, visiting the Assyrians in their homeland. And you try to tell people, I mean, American evangelical Christians, and I'm, I'm not knocking, I'm just saying a fact, you know, they're really pro-Israel. But it's like, but, well, what about our brothers and sisters? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying don't support Israel. I'm just saying we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt and the Assyrian people, and we should pray for and support our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Oh, yeah. And well, uh, they awesome. look at you like they're either not interested or they don't care, and it's like, why do people support Israel so much and they won't support the, the Christian communities over there? But now, finally, people are starting to pay attention to the Christians over there, seeing these martyrdoms and this persecution. Yeah. Uh, it's created awareness. I couldn't do it. I try to, you know, wrote, there's some success with my books in Aramaic. You know, not right. getting wealthy off of them, but they're selling, and, you know, you get some <laughs> feedback. But I admit I have some success, but nothing like, you know, you get some, some, Israel, some Jewish roots teacher or some uh, former Jew speaking. I mean, they, they, they make a lot of money, get people to write them checks yeah. and everything. Uh, they get a lot more yeah. support, support than I do. But now people, I mean, this is evil. With it, you know, it's like Satan's work with ISIS. But I hope that ISIS is defeated and these people can, you know, are established in peace in their homeland. But through what happened, people in America are, you know, hearing the name of the Coptic Christians and the Assyrians, and uh, yeah. uh, and, and that, that's what the movie is going to do too, is, is bring more attention. Now you've seen them on the news being persecuted, mm -hmm. but now let's tell the story of how they, uh, where they came from, and who they are, yeah. and that's what we're yeah. trying to do in this movie: yeah. the Acts of the Apostle Thaddeus.
to celebrate their lives, too. <laughs> right. I think that's a great idea. The motivation for this film is, like I said, bring the Assyrians involved in this project to preserve their culture, mm -hmm. you know, uh, oh, yeah. this film and to encourage it to, to, to have, a, have a future, to go into to preserve this legacy for their children and, and so this, can, this legacy can continue and go on here in America, but also back in their homeland. Yeah. Uh, so they can look oh, yeah, in, their, in their homeland. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. And um, perhaps, Stephen, just before we kind of say goodbye, do you want to give out the address again or where people can support getting the movie okay. out there? Right. Well, you know, I'm on Facebook, Stephen Andrew Missick, and a lot mm -hmm. of people on Facebook, so you can look me up there. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N. And Missick is M-I-S-S-I-C-K. Uh, but there's the Aramaic Herald. Uh, mm -hmm. A blog. Just go to search blog Aramaic Herald. It should come right up. Uh, and the YouTube channel yeah. is uh, Aramaic 12. You can get through to me through those ways. If you go to Kickstarter, just put Acts of Thaddeus, and uh, it'll it'll come right up. But I have several video, uh, short video clips. And of course, I got teachings and lectures and things like that. But I have promotional videos yeah. uh, about the Thaddeus project up on the YouTube channel. So those are ways to get a hold of me. If they want to to write me, I guess there's a PO. Box 882, Shepherd, Texas, 77371 here in the uh, USA. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm sorry to have to bring it all to an end <laughs> because this has been a really yeah. fascinating chat. And um, I do hope we can get you back again sometime just to chat about um, how things are going with the movie and perhaps other projects that you're involved with. But I just wanted to oh, say yeah. thank you so, so much for coming to join us today. And um, I really do wish you well with the, the project, and we hope that that will get out there. Uh, are you guys hoping to get it out on DVD, or how do you hope to um, get this out? Will it go uh, wider? Well, well what's going to happen? First, we've got to you know film the project, right. to complete the film, and we can we can do that once we you know raise our our goal of money. But uh, we'll, we'll probably do a limited release to the Assyrian community here in the United States. Okay. Probably show it in Chicago, in Detroit. Uh, and then in, in certain communities in America. I, I don't know if it's, if it's a really good. Who, who knows? Maybe we get a distributor. Of course, the goal is to get it in DVD uh -huh. and streaming video in the end so we can have the widest distribution as possible. But I'm not ruling out the possibility of a theatrical release, but we're going to have a, 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 a limited release for the Assyrian people uh, wow. for sure. And sure. Yeah. for them. That's great. Yeah, that'd be a good start. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about a lot of different things. You've got some fantastic stuff on those videos that you have. Uh, yeah, just excellent it. work. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, I'm you know, looking forward to talking to you guys in, in the future. Thanks so much, Steve. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And God, yeah, and, and God bless your projects there. God bless you, too. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our show. You can find us on the web at www.lightflintradio.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at mail at lightflintradio.com. That's M-A-I-L at lightflintradio.com.